Awesome. It's so good to be with you guys here this morning. Uh, like Donnie said, my name is Joe Polino, and I just have the joy of being one of the pastors here, and uh, just so excited to get to be with you guys this morning. Um, our theme for the year as a church, our focus for the year as a church is what? Is encountering Jesus. All right. So we got two people who know what our theme, no, our theme for the year is that we would encounter Jesus, that we would uh, look to him, that we would focus on him. And the theme verse for 2022 for our church is John 6.35, where it says, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. So that is our theme verse. And so today, I actually have the, the joy of getting to preach on our theme verse for the year. Jesus is the bread of life. So who's hungry this morning? Okay, we got some hungry people. Um, so Jesus is the bread of life. And so we, we're wanting to encounter Jesus in the home, in our church, and in our city. So we've been going through the Gospel of John as one of those reliable places to encounter Jesus. I've heard it said, uh, Ruth Haley Barton wrote a book called Strengthening Your Soul of Leadership, and she has a quote in there that I'll paraphrase, is that we can't control God any more than we can control the sunrise coming up. But what we can do is position ourselves in such a way to uh, see the beauty of the sunrise coming over the horizon in the morning and to feel the warmth of it as it comes through the night. And so there are places that we know that we can position ourselves to encounter the sunrise of the Lord. Does that make sense? To encounter his presence. One of those places is in the gospel of John. It's in the scriptures when you're looking at Jesus. And so we're going to look at Jesus uh, today in John chapter six. Uh, but before we do, I want to just talk about bread. Now, I think bread in our culture gets a little bit of a bad rap. Okay, and my wife and I, Amy, are guilty of this. We try to eat healthy, and so we have done essentially the latest uh, trending low-carb diet that has been out there, whether it's Whole30, Paleo, Keto, and we've liked different parts of this. You know, we've, we've kept some of these things, but one thing that I've learned from these eating plans is that I really love carbs. Like, I really love bread. In particular, uh, there's a pizza shop close to where I live, called Pie Tap, and this is out front of the restaurant. It says, this is how I cut carbs, and it has a giant pizza cutter on the outside of it. I approve of this advertising, and uh, it, it definitely got my attention. But one of the things that we learned as we were doing, Amy and I, we were learning about these eating plans is that whenever there was a, a plan that had a built-in cheat day, in the week. So like you're being disciplined six days out of the week, but that if you could have this one cheat day, then those were the plans are like, oh, I could do this for a long time. And then a few years ago, we started to practice Sabbath. So we took a 24-hour period in the week. We just said, hey, we're going to stop work. We're going to rest in God. We're going to delight in what he's made. And what we realize is this is God's built-in cheat day. This is why it works. It's like, this is the joy day, really, that we get to experience everything. And there, and there were um, a few Sabbath times where Amy would try to get our girls involved. So we have a five-year-old and a three-year-old, our oldest, and we have a one-year-old. But she would get the girls involved in making an elaborate Sabbath meal. So making it extra special. And the, the meals that were ingrained in my mind over the past year are the ones where they made homemade bread. 
like fresh bread. So I think I have a picture of it up here. This is us before we're about to dig in, although you can see my five-year-old is already digging in. We got not just fresh bread, we got pasta. So we are, we are loading up on the goodness of God in this meal. But as we're uh, just enjoying this bread, uh, and by the way, that glass of wine is, uh, is not my three-year-old's, that is mine. Um, so we are Sabbathing, we are Sabbathing right. I just, I want you to think about when we say Jesus is the bread of life, think of the, the freshest bread, the best bread, whether it's your mom's homemade rolls or the garlic bread that just like melts in your mouth, whatever that is, Jesus is like that except better for our souls. And so this morning, I just want to take us on a journey of seeing that Jesus is the bread of life we all need and to kind of get you hungry. I hope you leave here hungry for lunch, but even more so hungry for more of Jesus, okay? So here's where we're going today. Jesus is the bread of life we all need because of three reasons. The first is that he is bread that never spoils. The second is that he is bread, which is a free gift. And the third is that he is bread which fully satisfies. He is bread that never, never spoils. He's bread that's a free gift, and he's bread that fully satisfies. So turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6, verse 25. So it'll be up on the screen. We also have uh, Bibles in the seats, uh, in the seat backs in front of you. But turn with me to John chapter 6. And as you turn there, I want to give you some context to what's happening in this passage. At this point in the, in, in the Gospel of John, news is beginning to spread about Jesus. He's been healing the sick. Uh, he's turned water into wine. Uh, he has uh, begun to um, just, there's a buzz in the area of who is this man? And so there's crowds that are coming. And Jesus is trying to give his disciples a break by going to a remote place on the other side of Sea of Galilee. But the crowds come and find him there. And so the crowds are coming there, and Jesus uh, doesn't say, hey, no, hey, sorry, we're, we're closed for today, no more ministry. No, he has compassion on the crowds, and he also has a little fun with his disciples. He says, hey, Philip, where can we go and find bread for all these people? And he says, well, there's nowhere around to buy it, but even if we did, it would take more than a half year's wages just for everyone to get a bite. Because there was about, it says 5,000 men, which is probably about 10,000 men, women, and children, just give or take. So there are thousands of people there. And then, uh, and then Andrew says, well, hey, there's this boy that has this lunch over here of five loaves and two fish. Um, I don't know why he offered that piece of information, but he thought, hey, I'll, I'll go ahead and say that. Um, but, and Jesus takes the boy's lunch. I imagine he asked for permission, but he takes the boy's lunch and he gives thanks. He breaks the bread and then he begins to distribute the bread. And instead of just 10 or 20 people having a little bit of the bread and the fish, it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And so the more it's broken, the more it's given out, it just keeps going and keeps going until it spreads across all of the 5,000 people. And they don't just have a bite. It says that they had their fill and that there was 12 basketfuls left over. And so you just take you know, all that Jesus is doing and you kind of put this on top and this says that they're ready to make Jesus king. They're like, this miracle tops it all. Okay, so this is where we're gonna pick up in John 6.25. So he feeds everyone 
And then he dismisses the crowd and he says to his disciples, hey, go back across the sea. I'll catch up with you later. I'm not gonna become your king. I'm gonna go spend time with my father on the mountain. And then in the middle of the night, he sees his disciples struggling in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in a storm. He walks on water, jumps in their boat, and goes with them to the other side. So just minor details. But this is where we pick up on John 6, 25. You guys with me? It's a lot of context, but it's important. Okay, so John 6, 25. It says, when they found him, the crowds, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and, get, and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is God's word. So let's kind of walk through this a little bit slower, piece by piece. And the first point is that Jesus is the bread we need because it's bread that never spoils. So look again with me to those first few verses in 25 through 27. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs pointing to me as Messiah that I perform, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. So talk about a way to throw cold water on a thriving political campaign. I mean, Rabbi, how did you get here? That's like a softball toss to say, I actually took a midnight stroll on the water across the lake. I mean, that's like, if you really wanted to just increase like the already fever-pitched, uh, just buzz in the air about who he was, that was his opportunity. But he doesn't do that. He cuts straight to the heart of the crowds. And he says, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Historians say that the Roman Empire, after they would conquer a culture, would pass out free bread and offer up free entertainment to appease, the cult, to appease the masses and to help assimilate them in the Roman way. So maybe the crowds, having experienced this, were like the bread Jesus gave was way better and way more than anything the Romans gave out. Maybe he's showing a sign of strength, saying that he's gonna take, he's gonna take over their place. Or maybe because it was close to the Passover festival, it tells us, that Jesus is, is, is the prophet Moses had, 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 had said would come, that, that he would come and that he would give them bread, just like in the wilderness, God provided bread for the Israelites. 
uh, after they were taken out of Egypt. Maybe this is the prophet, but Jesus just cuts straight to him and says, you're here, not for me, but you're here for the bread that you just ate. Now, I don't think we can be too hard on them for wanting the bread. I mean, imagine with, uh, when all of your food literally comes from the sweat of your brow and it comes out of the ground. Like when you get bread on that scale, like we just can't really appreciate that when we can go to a Walmart or Target or wherever and there's more bread than you can fathom ever eating in your life, like just available to you. But just imagine how, how significant this miracle really was for them as they're saying, wow, he just provided bread out of nothing, practically. And, and there's, there's nothing wrong with us coming to God with our needs, right? I mean, it says all throughout Scripture that God, even before we come, knows what we need. So he's not saying that it's, it's bad that you're coming for bread. What he's saying is you're, you're coming for bread, but I'm here to give you something more. Something more is here that you are not seeing. I want to make sure that you see it. Because what you're after will spoil. It won't last. What I want to give you is bread that will last forever. Man, I experienced this firsthand when I was about 18 years old. So I am graduating high school, about to go to college at Baylor. Sikkim, Sikkim Bears. Um, but at the time, I actually didn't want to go to Baylor. I didn't even know Baylor existed, honestly. But I got rejected from the school that all my friends were going to that I wanted to go to. Uh, I also uh, was rejected uh, by any potential girlfriend prospects I had at the time, uh, which was very disappointing. Um, but even more so than that, some more serious things, there uh, were two sports injuries I had back-to-back that I had hoped to have a collegiate baseball career that ended. So it was done. So not only did that affect something that I loved, but it hit my identity. Like, what am I going to do now if I'm not Joe, the baseball player? And then there was a family crisis involved. And so at this point at 18 years old, I'm looking at, you know what? I have, I have a faith in God. I have a mental assent to there is a triune God who created the world. I'm a sinner. You know, the whole basics of the gospel, I could pass the theological Christian exam. But I, it was a purely transactional relationship between me and God. I wanted God for the things, not for himself. I didn't even know that was available. And so at this point, when my life is in the pits, nothing is going right. I'm like, God, I have been going to church. I have abstained from certain things and my friends have not. I have been, quote, good. And this is how you repay me. And you know what I did? I walked out. I said, you know what? I'm going to go try to live life on my own or try to explore some other avenues because you either are not here, you don't care, or there's something wrong with me. I don't know, but I'm going to go check something else out. I, I walked away when I was 18 from just following God. I still kind of believed in him, but I walked away at that point because I was more interested in the stuff than I was in him. You guys following me? You guys tracking with me? And so Jesus is trying to save them from this type of fate. He's saying, I do care about your physical needs. I do care about the financial provision you need. I do care about your health. I do care about that relationship you want to be with. Absolutely. First Peter 5, 17 says, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. So he cares, but he cares so much that he wants more for you and I. He wants to give us food that never spoils. So in the Greek, uh, there are two primary words that are used to describe life. Like when we talk about life, 
we just say, you know, there's one word for life in the English language, but they had two words. And those two words were bios and zoe. There's one other one, but these are the two primary ones I want to focus on here. So bios, we get biology from. So this is life of the physical body. This is a period or quantity of life, okay? Now, zoe refers to the quality of your life. It refers to the living and eternal soul of somebody. So you've heard it said, you know, it's not the years in the life, it's the life in the years. You hear that saying? So the years of the life is bios. The, the life in the years is zoe. And when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's saying, I am the bread of zoe life, zoe. When he says in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, that life is zoe, zoe. So it is eternal life. It is the eternal life of the soul that's breaking in. It breaks into the now and the bios, but it's, it's one that's of more longer lasting substance. And this is so important because our culture is obsessed with which one of these two things more than the other. The bios. I mean, just, just so many products uh, and so many advertisements that we see are all about how to make us look more attractive, how to improve our bios. And that's not all bad. It's just so incomplete. I just remember just going back even to the, the high school uh, time and man, it just would follow me. Even as I was following Jesus, it was hard for me to get it out of my head that my value doesn't come from how, how I look. Like it was just, you know, going by that mirror one more time or going to the gym that one more time. Like it's, it's something that's ingrained in us. There's a, there's a need in our identity that the bios, like our world says that bios is what fills that hole with inside of us. And Jesus is saying, that's gonna spoil. Like, uh, you know, as you know, you're not getting any younger and neither am I, except my wife. There's something going on there that I don't understand. She just keeps getting younger. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's literally like building your life on sand, like sand that is going through an hourglass. If you get your value from, from exercise and things like that, and that, again, is not bad, but if that's where you build your life, then that life will not last. Uh, when I graduated college, I, had, I studied finance. And so for the first four years of my working career outside of college, I worked as a retirement plan consultant. Sounds very official, very important. Uh, it was not that exciting. Um, but what essentially I did with that degree and with retirement plan consulting is I would work on a team that would help people save for retirement. And so if you were to come to me as, let's just say I'm a financial advisor, you're like, Joe, I just started working. I want to have a good amount to retire uh, when I you know, am a certain age. I'd even like to retire early. Can you help me with that? I would say, absolutely. This is what I studied. I'm a retirement plan consultant. And you were to give me 5% of your paycheck from now till, you know, just say your end of your working career. And I was taking it and I was putting it in different investments. And the, and the time comes for you to retire. And you come to me and you're like, Joe, we made it. I am of age to retire. Let's enjoy the fruits of our labor. And I was to say, actually, I'm so sorry but I thought these investments had value, but it comes, I come to find out at this point, they're worth nothing. What, would you, what, what words would you have to describe me as a financial advisor? Words that you probably cannot say out loud in church. Words that would be like crook. Uh, words that would be like, you know, Bernie Madoff type stuff. 
I mean, this is like, this is your life's work. This is so important. And you are a fraud. You're a fraud. Uh, Jesus does not want you to be deceived and to invest your whole life in something that when it comes to the end, you realize I wasted it. I have been climbing a ladder all of my life. And when you get to the other side, you reach the end of the wall, you realize that there's nothing there. This is what a lot of our culture is just living on and saying, I don't really know what happens after death. I don't really know what happens on the other side, but I'm just gonna try to enjoy it and have a good time. I mean, that is, it's craziness. Charles Spurgeon had this quote when I was just uh, researching this. Uh, He says this, he says, he who does not prepare for death is more than an ordinary fool. He is a madman. And just think about that. If we plan for retirement, if we, if we try to look forward, you know, if we think about our Zoe life, our eternal life, let's lean in and pay attention to what Jesus has to say here and not uh, lose sight of it, okay? Um, and the other thing is that when we have perspective on the eternal life, it strengthens us, it strengthens us, strengthens us, I'm having trouble with that word, for the now. Uh, a couple months ago, I was getting coffee uh, with Drake Holtry. Is Drake here? Drake, he's not here today. Maybe he'll listen to this on the podcast, but Drake's longtime friend. He was going to our church, and he and his wife Morgan had just been going through some really difficult circumstances. Uh, they just lost a close relative. Morgan's mom passed away suddenly. And so I came into this coffee expecting just, okay, I'm here to encourage Drake, here to hear how he's doing. And so we have coffee, we're kind of catching up. And so I, I say, Drake, how are you doing? And he says, one moment, he gets a big book out of his bag. He puts the book on the table and he looks at me and he says, Joe, have you read this book? It is blowing my mind. And what it was, was a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Maybe you've heard of it, but it's a thick book, thick book that just goes through all the scriptures on heaven. And he said, Joe, I knew that from sermons and whatever, that we're not just gonna be floating on clouds and you know playing harps. I knew that, but I did not know about the wonders of what it's actually gonna be like. And like, I'm so excited for heaven. And it helps me give perspective on what happens in the here and now. And here I am, he just lost his mother-in-law and going through some hard things. And he is like encouraging me. I am like getting strengthened in my soul as he has this eternal perspective, right? And so, I, so here we go, Dre. He's like, when are we gonna talk about this? When are we gonna, <laughs> when are we, well, we're talking about it now. So because Jesus is talking about it. So if this is the type of bread that Jesus wants to give us, is bread that's eternal and lasting. So how do we get it? Well, let's keep reading because that's the question that the Jews have as well. What, what do we need to do to get this bread? So in verse 28, it says, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign will you give them that, that we may see it and believe you, what will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. It is my father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So what is he saying here? He's saying the work of God is to believe, to believe. 
Like, I'm expecting the law, I'm expecting a to-do list. He's saying, no, the work of God to do this is to believe in the one that he has sent. So this gets us to the second point, is that Jesus is bread that we need because it never spoils, but also because it's a free gift. It's a free gift. This is amazing. This is a blow away. Uh, when, and when you hear this free gift, uh, maybe it's hard for you to appreciate really the value of it. When I think of free gift, uh, what I think of is Costco samples. I think of those sweet ladies at Costco uh, that pass out the free samples. Maybe we have a picture of, them, uh, of one of the, the, the ladies just to kind of get you in that mindset. There she is, just passing out these, these little goodies. And I love free samples. My wife could say, I get more excited than our kids. And when our, when our cart comes around, I'm like, you better get that tray ready, that backup tray ready. We're about to clear you out, Okay. So I look forward to these free gifts, but essentially, they're cheap, right? Anything that's a free gift to us is cheap. It's not worth much. Uh, and, and this free gift, guys, is just, it's so incredible, so amazing that I struggle with the language to really convey, but this is an amazing, amazing gift. So the, the Jews are saying, we realize there is a gap between where we are and where God is, and they're saying, what are the works that you're saying we need to do to close the gap? What's the work that we need to do to close the gap? And Jesus says, to believe. Now, this is either like really good news for some, or for some, it's really frustrating or confusing. Uh, when I was in uh, a seminary, there was one class that I don't even remember what class it was, but I remember this. There was a paper that determined a large part of our grade that we had already turned in. And I worked really hard on this paper, so I felt pretty good about it. But on the day we're supposed to get back our grades, the professor uh, poses this option to the whole class. He says, you can either take the grade you deserve on your paper, I've graded them, or I will give you an A+, no questions asked. And so I was like, this is a test. This, this, this is a test. Like, this, this, can, this is too good to be true. So he just repeated it. I will either give you the grade that you deserve or I will give anyone who wants it an A plus on the test. Now, there was two reactions in the room primarily. There was me who had spent a lot of time on the paper. It was kind of like, I want to know what I got. Like, I want to I wanna get what I deserve. I don't need any handouts. Like, the, the American, like, way was like, no. Like, I want, I want to get what I deserve. Like, I think I deserve good, like, a good grade. There was, there was that side of me that was like, that, that's too easy. But then the other side of my classmates were like, man, I totally tanked that paper. They were giving high fives. They were grinning. They were like, this is awesome. Like, it's got an A plus on my paper. There was two reactions. Why was the reaction so different in the room? Because one, I thought my gap between where my grade should have been and where an A-plus was was pretty small. And I also was uh, comparing myself to other people, and I said, I think I was top of the class. So I, I don't want the rest of the class to be at the top. I want to be at the top of the class. It was pride. It was a prideful reaction to this free gift. Whereas the other people were like, my gap between where I am and where God is was really big. And their reaction was joy. Their reaction was, this is a great 
gift. And when I say that Jesus says, believe in the one he has sent, he is giving us a ginormous gift that goes from as far as the east is from the west. This stage, my arms cannot tell you the gap that he has closed. That is this amazing, amazing gift. He is bread that is a free gift. And it's a free gift that says whoever will come, not just the Jews, but whoever It doesn't matter where you come from or what uh, religion you grew up with or what ethnicity or background or what you've done. Whoever would come to me will never hunger and never thirst. That's the good news, guys. That's the good news. In Romans 3.23, the Apostle Paul, who was at the top of his class in the religious order, he says this. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, even me that's at the top of the class, we've all fallen short. And it says uh, in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. As a result of the sin, we feel the gap. We feel the gap. You and I, we, we walk around trying to fill in this question mark of our hearts. Am I seen? Am I, am I sought after? Am I wanted? Am I significant? Am I secure? And we get all those things from different places and people and wonderful relationships, but really like we're filling up this question mark within us and that's the wages of sin. That's the result of sin. There's a hole, there's a gap. But it's, it goes on to say in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, eternal zoe in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So how do we, how do we receive this gift? Well, if you go on in what uh, you call the Romans road, Romans 10, 9, let's put it up on the screen. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's like the, the pride in me is like, this is too easy. But, you know, the more I've walked with Jesus, the more I'm just so, so thankful for this gift and realize how much he's actually given us. Uh, a theologian that uh, I love describes it this way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he is a pastor, theologian. He was martyred for his faith in World War II after opposing the Nazi regime. He said, you know, we need to fight this idea of grace being cheap, of grace being free. It is free, but it's not cheap. It's costly grace. This is what he says. He says, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, Grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate, costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Man, this gift is like if they are passing out free samples at Costco and they're passing out whole Bitcoins and you realize they're passing out something that's of way more value. And she's like, honey, we need to max out all of our credit cards, all of our accounts, go sell our house and go buy all of their supply because what we have over here is worth way more over here. This is like the treasure hidden in the field. When you find it, you go sell everything you have with joy to come and to purchase this. 
This is the gift that we have, you guys. And may it never just grow old or grow stale. Like, let it stir us. This is what Jesus is offering us. But you know, when he gets to the last point, it says that Jesus is, is the bread that never spoils. Jesus is bread that is a free gift, but Jesus is bread that fully satisfies. And so just the last part, as we come to a close, they ask him in verse 34, they said, sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is basically saying, I am the treasure hidden in the field. I am the one that you're looking for. I am the bread of life. Now, the Jews did not like this answer. They, said, they started to grumble, and we don't have time to read all of it, but they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Is it like, how can he say I came down from heaven? And they had questions. They had, they had misunderstandings. And so Jesus goes on to say, no, no, let me clear it up. No, he doesn't clear it up. He says, let me tell you this. My flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. If you don't drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no life in you. So he almost doubles down what he has to say. And so it's like, they're so confused by this spiritual cannibalism that they're like, this is a hard teaching. Who could understand it? And so it says the crowds went away. And it says that a lot of his disciples went away. And so Jesus looks to the 12 that he originally had and have been with him. And he says, are you too gonna leave me? And Simon Peter steps up and he says, to whom else shall we go? Where else are we gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. Uh, we have come to believe that you are the Holy One sent from God. And just as we close here, I just wanted to circle back to my story when I was 18 and I had that transactional relationship with God where I, I just wanted the bread. I wanted him to give me the stuff. And so I was willing to do the work to get what I wanted. But when I didn't get what I wanted, I left. I, I, I walked away. And as I walked away, I didn't get very far. About a year and a half in, I just had this ache in my soul. I said, I need God. And if you're real, show me. And he, in his mercy, uh, just sent people to come and pray for me and get me plugged into a church. I started growing in the Lord. But when I was 25, I was out of college, a similar scenario where every hope and desire on my prayer list was not just unfulfilled, it was the opposite. Uh, broken relationship, had no future in my career, uh, just very lonely. A lot of my friends had moved away and I was so frustrated with God. And I would, uh, I've said this before, but uh, my friend said, you know what I would do? I would just pour out my heart to God. And so there was times where I would pull off on the side of the highway, just so angry, so distraught, so in need of help. And I, it was in the, in the night sky, just yell at God, where are you? Where are you? And get no response and just feel like I was all on my own. But I knew that I'd met him and that he was good, and I didn't have anywhere else to go. And so I'll just vividly remember one night when all this was happening that I put on a worship song, and the worship song was Jesus, You're Beautiful by John Foreman. And the way it goes is, I know that your eyes are flames of fire. I know that your hair is white as wool. I know that your voice, it sounds like waters. Jesus, you're beautiful. And he just does that on repeat. And I was just like, 
Jesus, there is nothing, I don't have any future. I don't have any next steps. I don't have any relationship that, I, that is of value, but you're beautiful. And if I have you, I have everything. And I just remember that room flooding and I just said, you have the words of eternal life. And that is what I want to stir within us that he fully satisfies more than anything else. And so wherever you're at this morning, if this is the first time you've heard it or the millionth time, I just wanna encourage you, let's respond and just say, Lord, would you just stir up my heart again to long for your Zoe life, to long for you, even if I don't have the, the, the answers of the prayer that I'm hoping for. So if you would stand, if the band would come up, we're gonna respond to God's word and just say, Jesus, you are so good. Jesus, you're the bread of life. And we're gonna do that by taking communion together. And so we're gonna have the, the bread and the wine. I asked Donnie to get not the uh, styrofoam wafer cups, but to get like sourdough bread, uh, just to uh, really like get the visual and get the uh, representation of what it's like when you come, to come to the Father, to come to, come to Jesus, say thank you for the bread of life, and to really, eat and be satisfied, to drink and to never be thirsty again. So the way we're gonna do that, the band's gonna lead us in a response song. And so in a moment, I'm just gonna invite you to come as you, as you please, and we'll have some people who are gonna pass out the bread and pass out the elements. And then you're gonna go return to your seat and just say, Jesus, would you, would you awaken my, my soul? Would, Holy Spirit, would you show me again just how beautiful that you are and thank him for the bread that has been broken for you and the blood that's been spilled for you. So let's pray and then we'll respond and go to the Lord with communion. Lord, thank you that you offer a place at your table. God, that this is better bread. God, that this is better life. God, that any bios that has to offer, but God, this is Zoe life. God, thank you, God, that you close the gap, God, between God, our our sin and our brokenness, God, and that you have come and that you have given us yourself, Jesus. So Lord, pray that as we take of the elements, we take of the bread and, and that's broken for us and we take of the drink, God, that as your blood's poured out, God, that we would receive afresh just with your, with fresh uh, eyes, your forgiveness, God, your gift, because God, you are bread that never spoils. God, you our bread that is a free gift and you are bread that fully satisfies. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just encourage you to come and respond and just as you, as you, uh, as you feel led, just come and get of the elements.